Um, today is uh, the eighth in our series that we're going through called Foundations of Community. The focus of today is on formation. This is the topic of spiritual formation. Another word for this is discipleship. It's being formed into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus. I was so happy, Jim, that you so focused us on Jesus in worship because that's very appropriate for the topic of spiritual formation. I'm going to give a little bit of an extended introduction because this is a series. And I'm going to... Sorry, guys. I'll try to do my best to keep myself in the picture. Um, so I want to make sure we cover a few things. So I'm going to do this fast, and then we'll get to Amy's teaching. So we, the series has been, uh, first of all, a series of five teachings that have formed the basis of what we call our renunciations in our community commitment. I'm not going to go over them. Hopefully you know them by now. You can always uh, ask me later. So moving from renunciations to things we're saying no to, now we move to the things we're saying yes to, our commitments. So we've already talked about prayer and reconciliation. We're on the topic of formation, which is number three. It's no accident that it's in the heart of the five, because in many ways it's the heart and the foundation of everything else. Um, next retreat in March, which we're going to be moving one week to March 26th, is going to be both hospitality and work. And then the plan is in April to not have a retreat, because uh, for many reasons, one of which is Walter Heidenreich is going to be around, and so we're hoping to meet with him. Um, but then in May, we're hoping to have a retreat at Camp Tejas and take a day and go through the entire community commitment discuss it, pray through it, give you a chance to start pondering whether or not you want to adopt it, okay? So that's the plan going forward. Um, I want to ground everything, every one of these actions in John 17, because our community purpose is to live out John 17. And every one of these five is found in John 17. Not only that, but actually my contention is the most profound statement of each of those five things is found in John 17. So, prayer. As, after Jesus said these things, he turned his face to heaven and prayed. And of course, John 17 is Jesus' longest recorded prayer. So, that's John 17, 1, the foundation of prayer. Reconciliation, of course, the verse we all know well. Jesus prayed for the unity of the body of Christ. The unity of the body of Christ requires reconciliation because we've shown hostility to one another and we have wounds, damage that has to be repaired. Formation. What is in John 17 about formation? I'm glad you asked. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life. Okay, so for formation, we're talking about eternal life. Wait a minute, you think. Eternal life is about heaven. You die and go to heaven, that's eternal life. I want you to reorient us in this idea of eternal life. Of course, heaven is important. The fact that we, our sins have been paid for and will be received into heaven is glorious and wonderful. But there's more. Hallelujah. A good way to think of this is the eternal kind of life. Jesus offers us a kind of life that's the eternal kind of life. It's the kind of life that the Trinity shares. It's the kind of life that Jesus exhibited when he was here. So, 
This is about formation, how to become the kinds of people who live eternal kinds of lives. And I think this is a very profound statement from Jesus of formation. So how do you do it? This is the eternal kind of life that they would know you, Father, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So we enter into eternal, the eternal kind of life by knowledge of God. Another way this is said oftentimes is, what is spiritual formation? It's spending time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to become like Jesus. I like that definition. Okay. Formation at CTR, real fast, taking it down to the nitty-gritty. So this is very similar to what we talked about with both prayer and reconciliation. There's multiple ways that we engage in formation as a community. Personal formation, all of you do this. Reading, quiet times, you know, etc. Second, formation in our marriages and in our families. I think we all do, our households. I think we all do this as well. Formation together. So individual formation, formation together in our families and households. Formation in our local churches. Now, I didn't put this in the other two, but I could have. We're all engaged and belong to local churches. We're active in them. So as we enter those contexts, there's a lot of formation that takes place in our local churches. Number four, formation together as community members. That's what we're doing right now. Okay? We gather together to be formed. And then number five, just like with prayer and reconciliation, there's an outward component. Formation of others as a community. God has given us great riches that he's calling us to share with others. And a quick example of this, Angelina and I last week taught at Midtown Church on fasting. So that was an example of taking some of what the Lord has deposited in us and helping others become formed in the image of God through that. So I was actually kind of the introduction to Angelina, like I'm doing the introduction to Amy today. But like then, it was a long introduction. Okay. <laughs> Some means of formation at CTR, I'll go through this and then be done, just to say the practical retreats. Here we are, being formed. Another is the app and the website. There are riches, for those of you who use the app and the website, there are riches there that will help you immensely in the area of spiritual formation. And I wish I had time to go through this and show you again, but I don't. The library. Over there we have an amazing library. It's fairly carefully curated of books on topics like prayer, formation, missions, reconciliation and unity, Israel. And it's all there. I know Lynn, when she arrives, she goes to the library and looks for what's new. I love that. So take advantage of the library. Informal conversations. As we just hang out and talk together, formation happens. I love sitting and working in the kitchen and hearing Amy and John Patrick talk together about all sorts of things. And formation is happening in that context. And then I've got a dot, 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 because there's many other ways in which formation happens in our midst. One example I just thought of 10 minutes ago while we were worshiping, formation happens in worship. Formation happens in worship. All right? So, John 17, 3, kind of a grounding of formation in John 17 for our community. And then the, the, the ways we express it, and then the means we have for it. I just wanted to bring those up and then introduce Amy. Yes, Diane. Just real quick, on that last slide, what was the fifth point? Uh, formation outwards. As a community, helping others become formed. <coughs> All right. Here we are. So I'll start by saying I'm really surprised to be teaching this morning. 
because back in November, Thomas suggested that I take a break from teaching so that I could focus on writing. And he has been my huge champion in writing. And so when he asked me to teach, I was surprised. Um, I said, why me? And he said, well, because the topic is spiritual formation and that's your passion. So I took a deep breath to prepare my argument for why I really shouldn't teach this retreat. And immediately ideas started flowing. And I was like, oh, you're right. I am passionate about this topic. So here I am today. I'm going to start this. <coughs> start by telling you um, some personal history and how I've discovered my own need for formation, and why I've come to believe that spiritual formation is vital to our calling at CTR. Then I want to step back and look from a better perspective, a higher perspective. How has God designed us to mature? What does He want from? spiritual formation? Why do we even need formation? Um, How does the Trinity participate in the process? Because God's perspective, of course, is the best perspective. It's the one we want. But speaking for myself, at least, I rarely think to ask the right questions until I'm in need, right? (laughs) And so um, we're often driven by need to ask questions. I'm going to start my story in the mid-1990s, which was a very sweet season of life for us Cogdells. I had been a believer since I was a child, um, trained in the scripture at Hook Chapel. At the time, I was part of a church plant, which Jason was pastoring. Philip and Caroline were there, and we both had two young children at the time. And at that time, Philip and Caroline became um, acquainted with a renewal movement out of Kansas City. Caroline um, invited me to a retreat in Kansas City, which was quite an event, (laughs) something to remember. (laughs) Um, Anyway, it changed our lives. Thomas and I were just, uh, we call it a season in which we were born again, again. We had been filled with the Holy Spirit. There was something that was going on. The Spirit was being activated in us. We were listening to prophetic teachers. There were gifts that were being stirred up in us. We fell in love with worship. We fell in love with worshiping with the Owenses. And we fell in love with the teachings from Mike Bickle on um, the Song of Songs. And it was in that season that Ahop was born. So that was our first vocation as as a couple and our first vocation as a community and during that season we were learning from our friends we were learning through praying together and we were returning to the lord what we received in worship and we were returning worship we were returning intercession and i believe that it was a season that was pleasing to the lord and i think that's the first point which thomas has already made that Spiritual formation will lead us into service, and it will lead us into serving God, to serving one another. That's a natural fruit of formation. And that was a sweet season of life, but after a while, the seasons began to change. 
And here I'm speaking personally, I'm not going to speak as a community, but because I am called along with others to be a leader in the community, what the Lord was doing in me was also shaping our community. And the first sign that seasons were changing was a bit distressing because suddenly the kind of worship and prayer that had been so life-giving, so life-changing for me suddenly began to feel dry and empty. And I understood even at the time there was nothing wrong with the form. There was nothing wrong with, with free charismatic worship. It was good. It had changed my life. But all of a sudden, I could not enter into it. Um, instead, I was waking up in the morning. I was being drawn to mass in Spanish, which I didn't understand. I would go not understand a word and go home and cry and cry and cry and get up and do it again. I didn't know what was going on. But God was causing me to hunger and thirst because he had new food and new wine for me. And he wanted to lead me down paths that were meaningful to him, paths that would open doors for the work of reconciliation. And he had to make me hungry and thirsty so I would follow his lead. Um, this is a testimony of many different people. Sometimes dryness, disorientation, and spiritual dissatisfaction is an expression of God's love, which leads us to new ways of relating to him. So number two, during the season of growth, I began to realize that there were wounds in my heart that had not been healed. And believe it or not, this was news to me. I really thought that I was okay <laughs> in my young 20s. Um, and so I was surprised when Thomas and I began having friction in our marriage because there were unhealed places in his heart as well. And I think by the mercy of God, we just didn't have to deal with those. He gave us grace to do, you know, to get married, to have kids, whatever. But now it was the time to deal with those. We needed, we began to, um, to realize being called to a ministry of prayer that we had to be reconciled. We knew what Jesus said. You need to be reconciled before you offer your prayers. If we were not reconciled, our prayers were like a clinging gong in God's ears. So we needed healing and growth if we were to continue serving as leaders. And not only did we need healing and growth, we realized that everyone around us needed healing and growth as well. <laughs> Um, all of a sudden we realized everyone has been wounded all of us have places where Christ is not fully formed in our minds and in our hearts and these places of immaturity if they are not recognized and handled with grace and with love will cause future wounding within a community if we are to pray together and live together as a visible expression of God's <clears throat> kingdom we must be committed to the way of healing and restoration. We must all be committed to the work of spiritual formation, for we will only love one another to the extent that Christ is formed in us. The last thing I'd like to point out is something that Thomas already did. CTR has been entrusted with a wealth of godly teaching. It's actually just kind of crazy. Um, the investment that this community has received. I think of Father Peter Hawken, who um, saw our little community and decided to come visit us from Austria. He came like four times 
he came four times and he affirmed our calling to prayer, our love um, for the Lord's return. And he invested in, in us. George Miley has also invested in our community with two long retreats on spiritual formation and inner healing. And the Miley's teaching has been very pivotal in my own healing. There are others in our own community, Sandy and Cheryl, um, Patrick and Amy have just come back from Living Waters. I know, not exactly now, but anyway, um, John Boyle has invested in our community. I've learned from all of them a great deal about inner healing and maturity. And then there are friends around the globe, like named Mark Kinzer, Mariana Gall, Richard Harvey, the Antioch Network, Sister Mary Paul, the Longs, the Bruderhof. These are all, and, and Walter Heidenreich and the HFAN community. These are incredible treasures, mm -hmm. prophetic leaders who have invested in our tiny little community. And sometimes it just boggles my mind. And I, I sit in bed and I say, Lord, what are you doing? Why? But, but he has invested a rich, rich deposit here. And so we have this gift of spiritual formation, which is a gift that will build the entire body of Christ. And somehow we have this mission for the body. So that's my brief, in pers incomplete personal history of spiritual formation. But I've learned in recent years, mostly through Caroline, that the best place to start is always contemplation of the Trinity. That's the best place to start. And we sit in God's presence and just think about who is he? Who is God? How does the Father relate to the Son and the Spirit? How does the Spirit of God relate to men? These questions may seem really abstract and lofty and unattainable, but in truth, the reality of the love between the persons of the Trinity is what gives us life. It's the beginning and the end of our lives. It is what has created us and where we are going. So I'm gonna ask a really big question first. And this is an open question. I'm actually inviting responses. Ready? Who is God? <laughs> That's a big question. No, feel free to just Give me an answer. Love. Okay. Love. Yahweh. The creator of everyone and everything. The uncaused cause. Father. A deity who wants to relate to people. I am. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <coughs> These are all good answers. These are all worth they're all right answers. And I think every, every name and every way we think of God um, will focus our attention a bit differently. But today I want to, to say that at the core of God's being, I believe he is a father living in union with the son and sharing love with the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, God is different from us humans and that both the Father and the Son are eternal. And the implications of that hurt our heads. We can't really wrap our brains around it. But, but here's the wonderful truth at the heart of this mystery. Is that fatherhood is not something God decided to add to his resume. Right? God was not sitting around lonely and thinking, I think I'll have a son. That's not what happened. There has never been a time that God has not been a father. Never. 
Fatherhood is in his very nature. The Father and the Son are one, and fatherhood is as inseparable from the nature of God as his holiness is. That's, that's worth thinking about. Um, yeah. Can you repeat that? Fatherhood is inseparable from the nature of God as is his holiness. Mm-hmm. So how does God express his fatherhood towards us, his children of the flesh born of the spirit? There's many answers to that question. I'm not asking for one answer. But I believe that he has designed our earthly experience of childhood and parenthood to instruct us in his love. He made us in his image, though we were born in the flesh. And I think that our flesh instructs us in the way our spirits are made. Speaking purely of physical and mental development, human beings take a ridiculously long time to mature, right? (laughs) I mean, frankly, I cannot see how it is an evolutionary advantage to have offspring that don't walk till they're three, efficiently. I mean, really, (laughs) they can't outrun their prey, they can't feed themselves, they can't keep themselves warm. This does not seem like a great idea to me. But that's how God designed us creatures whom scripture decides, describes as a little lower than the angels. And let me ask you a question. When a baby comes out of its mother's womb, is it fully human? Yes. Is it created in the image of its mother and father? Yes. Is it worthy of love and dignity? Yes. Is it fully formed? Yes. Yes. Well, no. No. <laughs> no, it's not fully formed. <laughs> that child carries the nature, the DNA, and all the potential for full adult relationship with the parent. But that full adult relationship doesn't come from many years. And we must understand that's the way God made us. He made us that way. It was not an accident. So when we're reborn of the Spirit, we are reborn in the image of Christ. We are given a deposit of his divine nature through the Holy Spirit, and Christ's life is in us. To quote Paul, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We are a new creation, but that does not mean we are a mature creation. We still have things to learn and ways to grow, just as the disciples did. And once again, back to the contemplation of the Trinity. What is mind-boggling is that God's Son became flesh. And Jesus, who is and has always been one of being with the Father, had to undergo the process of formation, both physically, mentally, socially, and spiritually. That is Mm mind-boggling. So... If the Son of God needs formation, you need formation, right? (laughs) I need formation. There's nothing to be ashamed about. We need formation. I don't think that we'll ever plumb the depths of the mystery of the incarnation and the humility of God. I, I always see new depths and new treasures of the Father's love expressed in the incarnation 
Today I want to think about what the helplessness of Jesus as a baby and as a child tells us about the Father and about ourselves. To begin with, I believe the Father delights in our dependence on him. He loves us in our immaturity. I think the helplessness of childhood speaks to us of our Father's innate delight in who we are. He made us because he loves us, not because he wants something from us. We're totally incapable of being his servants <laughs> unless he fills us with his spirit. He delights in us at rest. How many of you have had children, babies? How many of you love them a lot when they're asleep? <laughs> Aren't they adorable when they're asleep? <laughs> they're so cute. <laughs> I feel the Father loves us that way. The Father loves to see us rest. There is delight that we as parents take in our children at every stage in their development, but there's a sweetness and a tenderness about the early years when they are completely dependent. We love them in ways that they are dependent upon us. They are attached to us, but we love them with a quality of love that's beyond what they're able to return. And that's okay, right? We're totally delighted in that. I believe all of this is true for our Father in heaven. He rejoices in our discovery and our wonder and our growth, and he loves to take care of us in our weakness. A second point about the Father heart of God, something that our own parenthood teaches us, is the Father has great compassion upon his hurting children. We as parents feel great tenderness for our children when they get hurt, whether the hurt is physical or whether it's emotional and whether it was an accident or whether someone else caused it or whether they brought it on themselves. It doesn't really matter. We just love them. We want to comfort them. We want to heal them. We want to do what will restore them. And I believe the Father's heart is tuned towards us in exactly the same way. His arms are wide open to the hurting and to the repentant. But those who are proud and stubborn cannot receive his comfort, not because he's harsh, not because he's angry, but because in our pride we we don't come to him and ask him for help. We don't come to him admitting our sin and our faults. And so we don't receive his compassion. I believe the father also rejoices in the victories and the growth of his children. It's natural for us as parents to take pride in our children's victories. And I believe the father feels exactly the same. When Jesus came to be baptized, he declared, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I have heard that preached many times to say, oh, feel the father's, you know, feel the father's, love for you and that's legitimate but what i feel like the father was expressing was when he says pleased is that he saw jesus in the secret places he saw all of the righteous things that jesus had done he saw jesus's faithfulness his devotion his love and he was he was affirming Mm -hmm. jesus Our acts of devotion, our acts of um, charity, our acts of kindness, um, our giving, they're all seen by the Father. 
And I believe he rejoices in them. Just like we as human parents rejoice in the maturing of our children. We love our children as children, but we also desire them to grow into adulthood. We want them to find their vocation. We would like them usually to get married or to have children or to serve others because these are the things that we were made to do. They're the goal of our formation. They're the fruit that we bear. And furthermore, as our children grow, so does the depth of relationship with them. I confess I was scared of raising teenagers. <laughs> but I found that stage of parenting to be one of the most rewarding because teens ask great questions. Teens are capable of complex thoughts and emotions. Teens are capable of hard work and amazing feats. And when the parent and child relationship is strong in those years, the relationship begins to, to transition from an apprenticeship to a friendship. And this is the goal of our relationship with Jesus. Now, after the disciples had spent three years in the trenches with Jesus, he said to them, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. So note that it took three years before Jesus was able to entrust the disciples with, um, with this level of friendship. <clears throat> I believe we grow in our friendship with God. I do. He loves us all the time, but we grow in our trustworthiness. And the more we grow, the more we will be entrusted with. And that is a glorious thing. That is worth the work of spiritual formation. The Father delights in our maturing. He longs to call us friends. He created us to become a bride for his son, but we cannot become a bride or trustworthy friends unless we mature. And maturing requires that we learn his ways and become his servants, even as Jesus became a servant to the Father, right? I love the, I mean, one of the verses that just blows my mind all the time is Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. That's amazing. So I want to talk for a little bit between, about the difference between gifts and maturity. Now, even as children, we have gifts given by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the deposit in us which cries out, Abba, Father. The Spirit enables us to hear God. The Spirit enables us to be convicted of our sins. The Spirit enables us to recognize Jesus as Lord. And the Spirit gives other gifts, gifts of wisdom, gifts of prophecy, gifts of tongues. But the gifts of the Spirit do not automatically make us mature. I would guess that everyone in this room knows someone, a believer, with, who is gifted, who has um, been immature, who has fallen, who has strayed. Is this not true? Yeah. Yes. Or, is just, or simply abuse their gifts. If leaders are placed in positions of authority while they are still immature in the faith, they will end up hurting other people. And we need to be able, for our sakes and for the sake of young leaders, to discern the difference between gifting and maturity. It does... It does young people no favors to put them in places of leadership before they're ready. We need to train them and give them opportunity, certainly, but we have to understand that maturity takes time. So it's easy for me, I know for sure that there are several eight-year-olds 
eight-year-olds in this world who are smarter than I am. If you give them a math problem or a chessboard or a music solo or any, you know, any number of things, they will outshine me every time. And yet, I would never give them the keys to my car or let them keep my baby overnight, right? <laughs> because gifting is not the same as maturity. It is no shame to be immature when we are young in the Lord, any more than it is shameful for a two-year-old to fall or an infant to need a diaper. And in fact, this morning I read a beautiful, beautiful quote by blessed Isaac um, of Stella, who quoted Isaiah and said that um, when we have brothers and sisters who cannot, who are weak, and cannot change because of um, some problem in, in, their, in their mind or, or physical weakness, we need to carry them on our shoulders and in our laps. And the quote of Isaiah, it was a beautiful, beautiful quote. So um, there will be times that we are weak and we need to be carried by others. And Jesus himself tells us that we must become like little children in order to follow him. But the childlikeness Jesus desires is not a state of permanent immaturity. Mm-hmm. On the contrary, the childlikeness Jesus describes is the humility we need to mature. Mm-hmm. Children are able to grow and learn so quickly precisely because they are aware that they need to be taught. Mm-hmm. Right? They are in a posture of humility by nature of their dependence. And that is the posture which will allow us to learn from Jesus and to grow into his likeness. So here is what Jesus says. Um, Micah, would you read it? You can read it up there if you want. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Well, humility is the first key to spiritual formation, and it is one that we will never outgrow. I personally believe that even in heaven we will be learning. And we cannot learn without humility, without admitting that there are things we don't know. I believe this is why God made us humans so helpless in our infancy. And it's because we're prone to pride. And if you'll remember back from the accuser of the brethren teaching, pride is the prime characteristic of Satan. And it is a temptation to all of us except babies. (laughs) Babies are not prone to pride. (laughs) So it is to our advantage to always remember our weakness, our utter dependence on God and his delight to care for us. Humility in the kingdom of God not only allows us to grow, it's a mark of spiritual humility. Maturity. Maturity. Humility is the virtue which enabled Jesus to say yes to his father's will. From birth as a human baby, to enduring scorn and rejection, to accepting death on a cross. And Jesus reminds us of this. Um, Ed, do you want to read this next verse? Sure. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, 
how much more the members of his household. I remember this verse. I went to look it up, and it's like, oh, yeah, like when we're fully trained, we'll be like Jesus. Oh, when we'll be called Beelzebub. And I was like, that's, that's the context of this verse. And I was like, oh, I didn't remember that. <laughs> so, brothers and sisters, we need to be sober about our need for spiritual formation. Because if we're not growing in the Lord, we are not going to be able to withstand the persecution or rejection that will come our way. <clears throat> if we are proud like Satan, we will give in to our need to be approved by the world. So Peter, who was the leader of the 12 apostles, was trained by Jesus. He became like his master. He worked miracles. He spoke to crowds of thousands. And ultimately, he was crucified. That was, that was his... his um, I'm going to say his, what is that word? That I'm keeping, anyway, it doesn't matter. That's, that no, being crucified, that, what, I, what I meant to say is that's how we know he became fully like Christ. That's what I meant to say, mm. is that he was crucified. Mm. Peter's formation was effective, but it was not quick. We see Peter failing in scripture. But towards the end of his life, Peter writes, speaking in his role as an apostle, urging the next generation and every generation which has followed to commit themselves to spiritual formation. So, um, Jim, would you read this? The Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So note that Peter affirms that all who have obtained the faith may be partakers of the divine nature. We have the divine nature. We have been given exceedingly great and precious promises, but that doesn't mean we can become passive and satisfied thinking that we've arrived. Instead, this is what Peter says next. Um, Linda, would you read it? Mm -hmm. For this very reason, every effort to add to your faith godness goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ but whoever does not have them in merry sighted and blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins so this is pretty heavy if we listen to what he's saying, he's saying, if we do not possess mutual affection for one another, if we're not growing in self-control and perseverance, we 
will be ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of Christ. That is sober. And so this warning leads us to a final question, and that is, how are we formed? How do we add goodness to faith and self-control to knowledge? Once again, I believe the best answer to this question lies in contemplating the Trinity. How did the Father attend to the spiritual formation of his only begotten Son? And this will show us a pattern of our own formation. First, the Father put Jesus in a family. The father chose Mary as a mother for his son, and he chose Joseph as a stepfather who would raise Jesus in faith and in love. A mother and father who would show Jesus grace and give him instruction in the ways of the Lord. Our mothers and fathers are our first teachers. They are the first ones responsible for caring for our souls. If, or rather I should say, When our parents fail to reflect God's love, we will be inadequately or wrongly formed. That's just the way it is. But when we're born again, we're able to come directly to our Father and ask him to reform us in those most tender places. And he's also given us the gift of spiritual family. It's important for us to have spiritual fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters because healing can come through them. It is important for us to open our hearts and homes to those in need of family. Psalm 68 says that God sets the lonely in families, and as in a community, this is part of our call. And that brings us to the next point. Jesus was formed in community. We know that Jesus had to learn scripture like other little boys, and he probably learned them along with the other little boys of Nazareth. We know that Jesus attended the feast in Jerusalem, probably in big caravans, which is how he could go missing for a couple of days. (laughs) Attending the feast also demonstrates that Jesus saw himself as part of the nation of Israel, the people of God. He celebrated the feasts. He kept the law. If the purpose for which we are made is to join the Father's family, it is ridiculous to think that we can please the Father apart from community. We need to worship together. We need to keep the feast to comfort one another, defend one another, instruct and correct one another in love. If Jesus was formed in community, then we must humble ourselves and be formed in community. I have been deeply impacted by this community, by most of you sitting here in this room. I have learned from you, from your examples, from your words, We all carry gifts from the Father that that he um, desires for us to share. This is part of how he builds his family. It delights the Father to see his his children loving one another. Mm -hmm. It, It totally delights him. Number three, Jesus was formed by the word of God. Jesus knew the scriptures. He prayed the scriptures and meditated upon the scriptures. In order to become mature, we must also learn scripture and meditate on it. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, they engaged in a battle over scripture. Satan tried to twist the word, but Jesus understood the context and the meaning of the scripture. I believe Satan will try the same tactic with us, whispering in our ears, did God really say, or is this what the scripture really means? 
Um, this is how people are tossed around by every wind of doctrine, as Paul, to use Paul's words. And this brings us back to the former point. We study scripture as individuals, but we learn and interpret scripture within community. The wisdom of our spiritual fathers and mothers, the discernment of our brothers and sisters keeps us from straying into, straying into strange doctrines. Strange. I will just say, going back to the idea of, of gifting and community and safety, um, I feel like this point about submitting interpretation of the word to others is, is particularly important to me because I feel like one of the, the gifts and that the Spirit has given me is to spend time in the Scripture and contemplate Scripture. And when I'm there, sometimes I feel the Spirit opens up an insight that I haven't heard other places, mm-hmm. or I haven't heard in a way that I understand it. And so, when that happens, I usually sit with it for a while. But then I will I will talk to someone. I'll ask Thomas, like, does this make sense? Or I'll ask Caroline, what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. And um, and they will say, well, that sounds you know that either that sounds right or maybe I would say it this way. When I when I've ever I'm asked to teach, I write out my my teaching and submit it to the person in authority so that they can look at it. And as I was thinking about that, it, it strikes me that um, in our places of gifting, that is actually a place where we really need protection just as much as we do in our weaknesses. okay number four Jesus was formed in prayer Jesus often went away to be with the father prayer was his strength and his comfort and I believe a sign of growing maturity is that prayer becomes our strength and our comfort the more mature we become in the Lord I think the more we will seek that comfort of being with the father I love what I've often heard George Miley say, there are things we can only hear from our Father. There are words of affirmation and there are words of correction that only our Father can say in just the right way to encourage us or to, to, to correct us without wounding us. He knows our hearts better than we know them ourselves. And he actually holds the key for us understanding our own hearts, the own ways we were made. So we must be with the Father in prayer. Jesus was formed by the Spirit as well. Jesus knew the direction and the power of the Holy Spirit. I really enjoy looking through the Gospels and seeing where where does the Holy Spirit show up in Gospels? Mm -hmm. Gospels. Well, immediately after Jesus' baptism, Scripture says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. In another place, Mark writes that Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus um, saw the Father through the Holy Spirit. I believe he operated in gifts of knowledge through the power of the Holy Spirit, not entirely unlike we do. Brothers and sisters, we must receive the filling and the gifting of the Holy Spirit in order to come to maturity. We must learn to wield the gifts of the Holy Spirit under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Because without the filling and the power of the Holy Spirit, we will never achieve the fullness of the maturity which Jesus died for and for which the Father is longing. This passage from Ephesians has become one of my favorites um, because of the end, not because of 
I, I used to spend a lot of time figuring out who are the apostles and prophets, but it's the end that really gets me. Um, so, uh, Dory, do you want to read that? And he himself gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So these gifts speak of roles within the body and not necessarily charisms. But I assure you that one cannot be a prophet without the gift of prophecy, right? And one cannot be an apostle without the anointing of the Spirit. One cannot teach without true wisdom apart from the Holy Spirit. One cannot serve without the love of the Holy Spirit. So it's for the sake of Christ that we welcome and receive and nourish these gifts because they build up the body of Christ. And, and the, the verse, which really undoes me, is these gifts are given until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That, that's our goal, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. <laughs> So as we end this, I just want to to think about two implications for community. Number one, we must remember that we are all in formation. We must have grace for people as they grow. We should strive to remember that a lot of our dysfunction and a lot of the dysfunction of others is the result of improper formation or lack of formation. That does not mean we excuse immaturity in adults. We must be committed to speak the truth in love to one another for the sake of growth and peace and safety and community. We cannot let hurtful behavior go unchecked. But we should never shame someone for their faults that come from immaturity. And we must remember that growth takes time. As long as we are humble and willing to learn, there should be ample opportunity for repentance and grace. But where there is pride and stubbornness, there can be no growth. Can I, can I add one thing here? Yes. The unformed places in community members around us are actually one of God's primary means for our own formation, too. A sense refused. Right. Get back this. So refusal to grow up in Christ will cause damage to others, right? So therefore. We must commit to one another to grow up in Christ, to become like our master, full of grace and truth. Our calling is higher and more glorious than we often dare to believe. 
We are people being made ready to be a bride for the Son. This will not happen overnight, but our Father delights in us at every stage, and that should give us hope for the journey. I want to end by looking at this painting that the kids did last time, because it really touched me. I, was, I didn't give them a lot of um, instruction. But we were talking about the Beatitudes. We were looking at Matthew chapter 5. And uh, when Jesus says, you are to be a city set on a hill. And so they started, they drew this picture. And this is, this is the new Jerusalem. This is heaven. This is the throne of God. And this is the river that flows from heaven. And the new Jerusalem is not here yet. It's behind these pearly gates. But on the hill, right outside the gates, we have CTR. <laughs> and this is the Owens house. And this is the Michelles. And this is the Shapies and the Gold Apps. We've got all our houses here. And I thought, wow, that's really, that's, I think there's something to that, right? We're not, we're not behind the pearly gates yet, but we're on the hill somewhere. Um, we're a city on the hill. And I just thought the kids did a beautiful job of that. Wow. So, um, I want to end with a, a time of, of prayer and an opportunity for ministry. Um, Jim, if you would be willing to play just some quiet instrumental stuff, I want us to spend some time with the Father and ask him, where is it that I am not fully formed? Or... If there's something you want to tell me that would encourage me, that's fine too. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's great. But I want to spend some time asking the Father. Um, yes. I just want to add something to put as a circumference mm-hmm. to all this, and I know you were saying it. Formation happens whether it's God and mm-hmm. Christ forming people. If we're not formed through God, through the narrative of his story, we're going to be. We are going to be formed by some other narrative. That's true. And so it isn't a question of formation or no. It's really which formation. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. We are we are very malleable. <laughs> um, what? Ductile. <laughs> Ducks. Ductile. So I would like us to spend a little bit of time just asking. I'll, I'll pray for us, and then I'm um, asking. Amy and Patrick also to pray for people because um, Patrick is fresh back from Living Waters. <laughs> is he, you're around here, aren't you, Patrick? Is he around? Is he around? Okay, I just can't see him from here. Um, and so if you're aware of a particular place that you, um, that the, the Lord has touched today that you would like prayer for, I know they would be willing to pray for you. I believe that you could probably just turn to whoever's next to you as well and ask for prayer. But let's just spend a little bit of time in silence. Well, Father, I thank you that you have, that we are born of your will. You're born because you desire us. You desire us to be with you forever. Jesus desires us to be with him forever. And so I pray, Father, that you would make our hearts ready to be with you forever.
I thank you for your gentleness. I thank you for your patience. I thank you for your mercy. And I ask you, Father, in your kindness and your mercy, that you would speak to our hearts today. We have plenty of time. You can write, uh, journal. If you want to, if it helps you to go somewhere else, the prayer room or the dining room or the library, feel free to move around. When you would like prayer, come forward. We'll have people to pray with you here. We've got a good amount of time, so let's just go before the Lord and ask.